Hello, I'm Scott Winnell, and welcome to TW Now. We're humbled to be broadcasting our 100th episode today, and we'd like to thank you all for continuing your prayers and your support of this new medium as we preach the gospel to the world. And today, we are going to talk about Brexit. Just two years ago, this term sounded odd, but today for many, especially in Europe, it's a household word. The United Kingdom for centuries has been an integral part of European affairs. She was also critical in establishing the European Union. The UK has been a central banking center for the EU and has contributed leadership, manufacturing and military supplies, and more to the European joint efforts. Now, the UK is just 29 days away from the agreed-upon date of its departure from the European Union, an event that has been two years in the making. The scary truth for many, on both sides of the channel, is that just one month from the exit date, there are still no solid plans for how or when it will happen. And few seem to fully understand the consequences of a massive step like this. Brexit fatigue seems to be setting in on the continent, as you can see from this article that's just been posted for you. Where will Brexit lead? Why does Britain want to leave the EU? And what is Britain's future in relation to the rest of Europe? Today's returning guests know a great deal about not only the ongoing Brexit process, but also about what the Bible actually has to say about Britain's future in regard to the EU and especially Germany. I'd like to welcome back Mr. Wyatt Seselka. Mr. Seselka is a minister. He is a Tomorrow's World writer and a former theology faculty member who has a personal interest in this topic. I'd also like to welcome back Mr. John Meekin. Mr. Meekin is a longtime minister and Tomorrow's World writer. He's a citizen of the UK and a longtime journalist who has been following Brexit in this situation very closely. He is, by the way, joining us via Skype from England. Gentlemen, welcome back to you both. It's great to have you on the program today, and I do look forward to our conversation. At this point in time, we'd like to encourage our audience, please feel free to post your questions to us. We'll do our best to answer them if you have questions today. And also, please be sure to subscribe, like, or share today's program. All right, gentlemen, and Mr. Meekin, we'll jump in with you first. Can you both begin to briefly describe what Brexit is and why it's happening. Uh, have you got two hours? <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I, after the show. I think, I think we, uh, thank you for the opportunity. I think really we should go back to 2016 and the referendum that took place on June the 23rd um, by uh, Prime Minister Cameron. And he confidently expected uh, that the country would vote to remain and it was a shock of his life, and it was the end of his premiership to find that the answer was to leave. Now, very quickly, why we, did we have that? Well, there has not, there's not been a as divisive an issue in UK politics for over 40 years uh, more than Britain's membership of the European entity, let's put it that way. And it really all goes back to the beginning, the quickest way possible to say it here, is that we were taken in in 1973 by Prime Minister Edward Heath and then and then confirmed in by Harold Wilson, the Labour Prime Minister, on, what should we call it, a terminological inexactitude, a lie, a falsehood, which was this is an economic union, it is not a political union, and it involves no loss of sovereignty. So that segments of the um, British electorate feel betrayed by that sense, and as it's developed, people began to think, well, 
if it looks like a duck, if it sounds like a duck, if it's yellow, if it waddles, oh, maybe it is a duck. And the duck is going to be a United States of Europe and a federal super state. And the big question underlying all of that is, does Britain want to be part of that? The answer is definitely no. Mr. Soselko, what would you like to add? So how, how did Britain vote? Uh, Mr. Meekin, hello, good to talk to you again, sir. Um, how did they vote? It's interesting when you look at the demographics, uh, Scotland, a, a large percentage of, of Scotland uh, wanted to remain. Um, in uh, uh, Northern Ireland, uh, a lot, there was a, a majority of remain. Uh, in London, there was a majority remain. Um, but uh, throughout the, the other areas, uh, there was a majority who wanted to, to exit. So within the European Union, I'm sorry, within uh, Britain, uh, obviously there's division. Now, the Brexit was, I believe, a, a 52% to 48% uh, vote, a 52% to exit and 48% and, and to stay. Um, so it was a, there was a decent majority, and the British uh, government feels that they need to, to honor that. And we were talking a little bit earlier about uh, does, will, does, you know, there's elements like labor that, that wants to remain, and they may want to uh, ask for a, another, you know, another referendum. But, but what I wanted to mention is that there's obviously division within Britain. Um, why is there division? Security, trade, sovereignty, uh, immigration, things like that, where the Brits, a lot of the Brits, just want to make their own decisions and want to be sovereign and not subject to Brussels. Okay. Um, at the time, one of the big issues was immigration because that was spiraling, spiraling out of control in the EU. So it was control of our borders, control of immigration. We wanted greater control of our laws. And don't forget that what the EU had just launched just a couple of years before was essentially a raid on the city of London financial centre because essentially the EU wants to get control of all those financial instruments uh, and they've been forever there in London because of its former world uh, status as a financial centre with worldwide investments. So there are, there are proximal reasons that I've just mentioned there and there are much deeper reasons and all of these have been an irritation to the body politic all these years. But uh, Wyatt is absolutely right. Uh, I was in Oxford uh, on the night of the referendum. All the academics were very much for remaining. Uh, so it's finally balanced. So what is finally balanced? Well, actually, the makeup of the United Kingdom as a separate entity is on the line here because a part of the agreement relating to the way Northern Ireland is being handled. And so the, the, big, the, big, the, the big difficult thing to stomach, really, is how Mrs. May has said she's been negotiating for two years, but most people in the land think she hasn't been negotiating. She's been busy surrendering, surrendering and giving way at every step because really there's been very little alternative. So, so the ref Article 50 is what was invoked, which allows uh, a member state to, to, to leave, to, to begin the leave process. And as Mr. Meekend mentioned, um, really in the last two years, there, haven't been, there hasn't been agreement uh, among the British uh, political body as to the details. Uh, Northern Ireland is a tremendous uh, concern. Do you, do, do you have a hard border there? Or do you have... Uh, you know, uh, European uh, soldiers there, uh, you know, uh, on the border. Um, but there's all kinds of other... Uh, and that's because the Republic of Ireland, or s 
Southern Ireland, some may say, not correct, right. is a member of the EU, right. whereas Northern Ireland is part of Britain, which is not. And they're connected, obviously, you know, by, by land. So, so Mrs. May has a, a tremendously hard uh, challenge ahead of her. How does she negotiate um, the, the details of, of, of an exit? Um, I, I, I want to also quickly just comment that even now, while Britain is in this sort of limbo, um, there is a lot of uncertainty as to how the next few weeks and months will, will, uh, will, will unfold. So without getting ahead of ourselves, um, that is already causing issues with corporations and employers and so forth, as well as financial institutions. Uh, will Britain be able to trade and import and export like they have in the past? Uh, will they remain a member if they exit? What will the uh, retaliatory measures, if any, be that they will, will have to deal with? So Britain um, is in a really tough spot right now. Economically, if you look at it only economically, there's a big incentive to stay because this huge trading block is telling them stay and we'll make life good for you. Um, leave, there's not a lot of incentive for Europe to go out of their way to help Britain leave. Mr. Meekin, I was going to ask if you'd add to what Mr. Soselka has to say and or sort of give us the perspective, what, is, what does Europe want in this Brexit situation? Europe would very much like Britain not to have left in the first place. In fact, up until the time of the Lisbon Treaty, when was that, 2011 or 12, um, there was nothing in any EU treaty which allowed for a nation to leave. So in part, it was down to Britain, uh, perhaps uh, uh, and others, who uh, were responsible for uh, inserting um, a clause in there which said that, for the first time, if a member wants to leave, it could leave, it would have to apply to the council and then it put in, most importantly, a set period of time. Now, what that eventually, unfortunately, has turned out to be is a disincentive for the EU to do anything about negotiation and simply run the clock down uh, through intransigence and refusing to budge, which is exactly what it's done, until just as you approach that two-year period. So um, there's more I can say on that and, and what's likely to happen over the next few weeks. But... Uh, Wyatt is absolutely right. It's been a very humbling and very difficult period, uh, the most turbulent in British politics anybody can remember. Uh, and they have us over a barrel. Let me, come, let me ask you another question related to what you're saying. Why would Europe not want Britain to leave the EU? Aside from, you know, this is a big happy family and we want to keep... EU, uh, some are pulling away in different ways. Uh, some of the Eastern ones don't want this. The Italians don't want to remain part of the Euro. Uh, they're actually having to work very hard to hold together uh, quite a febrile organization. And so that's the main reason they wanted to stay, that they can get away with. And don't forget that there's still a two-year period we've yet to discuss uh, after the so-called Brexit date. There's, um, <clears throat> it's in Europe's interest economically uh, for Britain to stay within. There are regulatory efficiencies. Um, which may seem like a really arcane, um, uh, not exciting thing for me to say, to say, regulatory efficiencies. Well, who cares about regulatory efficiencies? Well, th there's a real material impact um, in how regulatory, in how regulations are, 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 um, are, are applied. Take, for example, pallets. Um, Britain 
is currently within the European Union, they're able to use pallets, the kind of pallets you see on semi-trucks, 18-wheelers, the big the lorries, lorries for, for Mr. Meekin. A lorry is a semi-truck in, in the United States. And they have these pallets, and you put, you put you know, goods, goods on the pallets. Because the United Kingdom is part of, of um, the European Union, they use a certain pallet. If the United Kingdom exits, they will be required to use a different kind of pallet. Why? So that the European Union is just being harsh? Not really. There are um, safety measures, there is health and uh, biological screening uh, uh, practices and standards that the European Union has, has agreed to. And for member states, they all have signed up to those standards. And so they can use the same pallets. If you're outside of the European Union, there's no requirement to subscribe to those standards. There's no enforcement of those policies. The European Union is not being cruel just for the sake of being cruel. They, now, they, they may also want to use it as leverage to keep Britain in. I, I understand that. But they have a legitimate concern that if thousands of pallets per day come in to our borders and those pallets are not screened for health and biological organisms, so there could be danger, you know, there could be bacterial and, and dangers. Um, there, there are three million jobs in the United Kingdom that economists believe are connected directly to trade with the European Union. So there is a lot of potential harm, damage economically for both parties if there is an exit. Mm. Mr. Meekin, you can let us know the rough exact number, uh, but when okay. I think, I think well, there... Go ahead. When I think about uh, trade, how many people are in the UK? Ooh, um, Some sixty. Are there sixty? Um, roughly sixty million? Yes, roughly sixty million. In terms of trade, it, this this gets argued back and forth, but um, the EU trades more with us, I think, in certain respects than we do with them. Um, but you no, know, Wyatt's. Um, comment is perfectly valid you know both will be badly affected um, and um, that's really what it's all about we are we have get got to use get used to the idea that when Cameron offered an in out referendum out was probably not certainly in the short term a viable option it's taken 40 years or more for the EU and the UK to enmesh themselves in one another. Mm -hmm. You don't separate that out in five minutes, five months, five years. You'd be lucky to do it in 10 years. And yet on a whim, you might say, or do you want to stay in or do you want to come out? Oh, I'd like to leave without really counting the cost. And then without really following that through in the next two years with a whole load of really intense planning for just that eventuality. None of that was done. It, this is disreputable to say the least. Well, hugely problematic. And then it's, it, we've been likened to a very messy divorce here, haven't we? Uh, where you've got a lot of entanglement and you can't get out of that easily. Let me ask if one of you would quickly summarize what are the options here that are on the table or seem to be on the table with Brexit? Because it, it you know, for a while it looked like this was going to happen. And then it looked like, well, um, there may not be a deal and, and Britain may just leave and do this hard Brexit without any kind of deal. What, okay. what is being... I can do that. 
Okay, um, just because briefly. Because Mrs. May keeps kicking the can down the road. Where we're at at the moment is on March the 12th, there will be possibly a final vote uh, for Parliament to accept Mrs. May's withdrawal agreement. Um, in the meantime, it's possible the EU might tinker with that just a little bit, which might just send it over the edge towards being accepted. If that's accepted, it will then be ratified by the EU. We will be in for a £40 billion bill. And then after that, we then face two whole years of now sorting out the details of the trading arrangement. This is March the 12th. If that agreement once again fails, there will be the next day, March the 13th, a second vote, uh, which will say at the end of March, do you Parliament sanction Britain leaving the EU without an agreement? In other words, so-called no-deal Brexit. Now, Parliament, there is no appetite for that. They will vote that down. In which case, it then goes to a third vote, 12th, 13th, 14th of March. This is current plans. In, in which uh, Mrs May will then seek permission of Parliament to go to the EU to ask for a, a short extension. But why? If nothing's changed, what's the point? The EU is likely to vote that down for just a few months. Or possibly, as Mr Tusk has advanced, and Mr Selmayr, the uh, secretary to the commission, well, you're in for the next two years negotiating trade. Why not extend Article 50 for two years and we'll think it through more? But, of course, there's a great fear there that uh, the longer you delay it, the more likely it is never to happen in the first place. So my best guess is, and <laughs> reading the runes, I detect a softening towards Mrs May's um, withdrawal agreement as... In actual fact, the best thing that's going when viewed against all the other options. So uh, I've, I've been wrong before in my life. but <laughs> So we'll see round about the 12th and, and all that happens around then. I, I, I would like to add that, that it's, um, there is some argument, and I subscribe to this, this theory, that the longer the, uh, the negotiations are drawn out, um, the, the, the weaker the UK's position becomes. And I'll give you a couple quick examples. We've all heard about the financial. We know London is a center, of, a huge, if not the center of finance. But uh, I'll give you two other quick examples. Um, Honda. We were talking uh, about Honda, and there are different reasons that different car manufacturers are, are shutting down plants and moving from from combustible engines to electronic and so forth. But um, but Honda. Uh, there's a gentleman, uh, Patrick Keating, uh, is Honda's European government affairs manager. And he briefed a meeting in Swindon uh, in uh, September, so this is a few months back. But basically, he was concerned about uh, the ability to get parts if, 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 if Britain exits the European Union. And um, they, they, uh, deliver, they, they receive delivery of 2 million parts um, a day, which is just amazing. A fifth of those parts come from, UK, from uh, EU suppliers. So anyways, uh, if companies like Honda manufacturing plants see this this lack of surety they're not sure and they they move they remove their their manufacturing that affects jobs um, obviously another quick example I'll give is Galileo I've been tracking the Galileo project it's it's interesting to me because I'm, because I'm a technologist and I believe Britain had invested about one billion dollars in the Galileo uh, system which is to rival the United States GPS system it's frankly more accurate there's a lot of prophetic 
potential uh, uh, consequences we can talk about there. But anyways, with Britain threatening to exit, Europe is saying we are going to stop working with you jointly on the project. We're going to start sharing data with you and so forth. That has triggered Britain, if I remember correctly, to say, not, first of all, you need to pay us back our billion dollars, which Europe said no. And then Britain said, well, we were setting aside 92 million pounds, sorry, pounds, <laughs> and we're setting aside 92 million pounds to, to start developing our own satellite system. That, th these are two examples of, 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 of economic negatives uh, and also potentially security negatives that are already starting to manifest and there hasn't been an actual exit yet. These are manifesting during this negotiating kind of limbo time. The more time that goes by, the more the UK is shut out of uh, in, um, intelligence sharing with the, the, the European Union and, and, and European forces, the more that manufacturing and banking jobs might leave and so forth. I believe the more the UK becomes weakened in its negotiating position with, with Europe. Okay, so what we've been talking about is it's hard to nail down exactly what's going to happen. Even one month out, is, is Britain going to leave? Are they going to stay? If they leave, how are they going to leave? This still seems to be yet to be seen. And so it's going to be important to keep watching what's going on and, and the rhetoric and the interactions between not only what's going on in Parliament in Britain, but also in the European um, realm. Also, it looks like no matter what happens, there's, there's a whole lot of issues involved. And this, this is a very intertwined relationship over a long period of time as Mr. Macon has pointed out, that they can't be easily disassembled. What I'd like to do now is to take us to the Bible, because we know that the Bible has prophetic things that it talks about. So gentlemen, what are some of the insights the Bible provides into the future of Britain and Europe, and frankly, into even this Brexit situation? What kind of vantage point are we given, Mr. Selkin? Um, you know, I, I, it's a great question, and it may surprise some of the, 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 the audience, but there are prophecies way back in the book of Genesis, and I've always found it fascinating to uh, review and read the account in Genesis chapter 49. I would encourage anybody watching to, to, to go to Genesis 49, uh, read verses 1 and 2 and 3, and that's where Jacob calls his sons together, Ephraim and Manasseh, and he tells them what will happen in the latter days, at the end of the age is how we've interpreted that. And he talks about them becoming a great people and so forth. And I think there's a lot we can talk about. I'll, the point I'll make is that the Bible does give us a lot of insight into um, who, what, who the identities are of, of, of Britain and Europe and Germany and the United States. And I think when you look at what's happening in the news, understanding that, that Britain is one of Israel's sons, that the United States is one of Israel's sons, um, <clears throat> then it starts to help us understand maybe why there's this desire to exit. I think it even shed some light on, I was thinking about John Bolton, the U.S. National Security Advisor to President Trump, who's very, very against uh, globalism and, and, and he's very against the European Union. And you have John Bolton and President Trump who see Europe as quote unquote foes and they are working to help the UK negotiate and to support the UK in its leave. When you look at this through the light of the Bible and you understand that the United Kingdom, the United States are brother nations, um, things make a lot of sense. So 
I'll just, I know Mr. Meekin has a lot he'd like to add, but I wanted to bring our audience's attention all the way back to Genesis 49. And I'll just mention real quickly to our viewers, we do have a booklet, The United States and Great Britain and Prophecy, that begins to go into the details that we're going to talk about now. Uh, Mr. Soselka was talking about uh, Genesis chapter 49. This, this booklet almost begins in Genesis 49 and then pushes us forward. Mr. Meekin, what do you think? If I can take it one stage further than uh, Wyatt has, where he talked about <clears throat> uh, prophecies relating to Jacob and the last days, uh, there are a number of prophecies uh, from about Jeremiah 30 to 33, if our readers want to write this down. Uh, notably, Jeremiah 30 verse 7 talks about a time of Jacob's trouble, prophetically. And verse 24 nails that, in the latter days. Now, if we know where Jacob is, and we know there's a prophecy saying that those nations are going to get into times of trouble in the latter days, well, it'd be good to look at the context. Well, the context of that book, and really the grand context for this program, is we are living towards the end of the age of man, uh, entering a time of huge trouble to be then, uh, then that will move on to the next stage. And this prophecy in Jeremiah 30 to 33, David the king is resurrected, Christ returns, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel are regathered and start heading for the Middle East. This is the grand smash climax at the end of the age. And Jacob figures in it a time of trouble. So that leads us, I think, amongst other things, to the book of Revelation. And as we approach that time of trouble, one scripture that people will hear us talk about a lot is Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 7, where God, through the prophet Ezekiel, um, is told to be a, a Ezekiel's told to be a watchman for the whole house of Israel. And when you understand who the whole house of Israel is, that is all 12 tribes. It's not just the tribe of Judah or just the tribe of Dan or just the tribe of you know, Asher, it's, it's all 12 tribes. And Ezekiel is told to warn them about what is to come, that there is a sword, there's punishment coming because of their sins. So you will hear us here at Tomorrow's World uh, discuss um, the fact that, that there is a, a punishment, there is a, a time coming uh, upon the house of Israel that will be a time of, of punishment. Um, we feel that we are very near to that coming time. And so one reason we talk about Brexit and the UK, Jesus Christ said to watch, to watch, to warn, to be aware of news events. And I think we can take some comfort in watching, but also understanding through the Bible and through Bible prophecy that um, things are unfolding not as God desires and that he wants there to be pain and suffering, but as he foretold, as he knew would happen. And so if you're listening to this program, uh, and and your, these scriptures are not familiar to you, uh, as Mr. Meekin said. You know, go to Jeremiah 30 and read, and go to our website and and uh, and read about it. But but God does give a roadmap regarding what's happening, and whether I'll just finish by saying whether or not Britain leaves the European Union or not. You you see, we so far we we've, we've not said, have we? None of us have said it will or they will or won't. In a way, that's that's not relevant. We know the identity of Britain. We know that Britain will become subjugated to a end-time superpower known as the beast. And uh, whether Britain leaves forcibly or stays within, in a way, it's almost not that, not that critical. Thank you for those comments. Mr. Meekin, uh, you referenced Revelation a minute ago. We've been talking about 
just right now, Britain's relationship to end-time prophecy. The other side of this Brexit issue is Europe. How does Europe figure into end-time prophecy? Well, I think we would draw our, our readers and our viewers' attention to the prophecies of Revelation 17, which talk about a union of ten nations uh, called a beast, uh, giving its power to one individual, but actually ridden by a woman. Oftentimes in Revelation, their woman is symbolic of a church. Now, um, uh, you know, uh, the moment, EU, is EU 27. 27 what nations. Pardon? Yes, what might happen to get that down to EU 10? That's something to watch for very much indeed. And Mr. Soselka, I wanted to come back to you. We, we see this reference in Revelation 17 to uh, 10 nations or 10 kings at the end of the age. Um, we talk about it being Europe. How do we know that Europe figures in here? Or is there any history that links, uh, links Europe to these 10 nations or 10 kingdoms? There, there, there's so much to talk about there. Um, the, when, when you go through history and you look at who the, you know, who the empires were, uh, even secular history books will go through these, these great empires. And w w the first and greatest was Babylon. And in Daniel, uh, God revealed that, that Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, that was the head of gold and, and so forth. So there's so much symbolism in the Bible. There is so much history recorded that's even secular history where you can trace these great empires down through time. And I think as a quick side note, it's a shame that we don't teach the humanities and history uh, as much in high school and, and college because uh, that, that, that lets us understand the world that we live in. The world we live in is not a world of just uh, you know, movies and games. It's a world with, with history and empires that have, have risen and fallen. Mm -hmm. Well, empires uh, come and go and you then had the Roman Empire and so forth. The, the, the European Union has adopted uh, symbolism, which we can hopefully talk about in a second. Actually, I'd like to go there right now. Which harkens back to this. Yeah. Let's, let's do that. Um, in fact, if we could have that image brought up that Mr. Meekin personally took a photo of in Brussels a few years ago. Um, Mr. Meekin, maybe you could describe this briefly. Well, this is um, uh, Europa, uh, after which Europe is uh, named, um, goddess, uh, riding a bull who is supposed to be Zeus. <laughs> And the, the building behind is the council building. If you were able to look where the camera is, that's across the road at the Berlaymont, which is the commission building. I don't think this is placed there now, but it was back there. And it is one of the famous uh, icons of the EU, along with another one, a building in Strasbourg, made to look like the half-finished um, Tower of Babel, even. Mm. What does that image of the woman riding this bull have to do with Revelation 17? Well, just, I suppose, the correspondence in the imagery, because in Revelation 17, it says that the woman mounted and rode the beast. And that's about as close as you can get a match in terms of iconography as you could want. And uh, which had seven heads and ten horns, and which, uh, when you study that, goes to the, the resurrections of the Roman Empire. And, and uh, there's ten horns, there's ten toes. Uh, it's interesting, really quickly, the, the woman riding the beast, the beast is, is, um, is uh, symbolized as a bull. And bulls have been used to symbolize uh, pagan gods, false gods, down through time uh, immemorial. Uh, Kronos, the father of the, the gods, was symbolized as a bull. 
Zeus was symbolized as a bull. Nimrod was symbolized as a bull. Um, Europa is taken away by a pagan god, uh, symbolized as, as a bull. Uh, this goes back to who, who, who's the father of paganism? Who's the ultimate father of evil? Who's the ultimate uh, adversary to, to God, to the true God? Well, we know that that is Satan the devil. So why would a continent, why would an empire, why would a group of nations be um, driven or inspired to select um, imagery, a Tower of Babel, which in the Bible is, is all about rebellion and, and, and raising yourself against God, a bull, a woman riding a bull, which is, which is fraught with paganism. Why? Is there a spirit? Is there something behind this? Mm -hmm. um, uh, we, we need to know our history and we need to study our Bibles and we need to understand that what's unfolding on Fox News, CNN, BBC, uh, and so forth, um, a lot of what's unfolding is being driven by spirit powers that have been at work for millennia and we live in a time where um, things are going to come to a head and the prophecies that we read about um, are very frightening and they're going to come to a head. And this is not all just accidental that we have this imagery. Mm -hmm. And by the way, who is the woman mentioned in Revelation that happens to ride the beast? Well, uh, in Revelation, a woman symbolizes the church. And there is a church in the whole region of Europa with headquarters in Rome. Treaty of Rome was what started off the whole um, project. <clears throat> and so we expect a union of church and state to be formed for a very short time, right at the very end, that will be used to fulfill uh, the various prophecies that God has in place. And if you read through in Revelation, I know we're running out of time, but if you read through Revelation 17 verses, I think it's 4, 5, 6, it describes the woman, how she's uh, ordained in you know, scarlet and red, and how she uh, drinks the cup of the, the blood of the saints. So this is a, a pagan uh, evil uh, woman, a, a church, um, religious you know, movement, religious group, and she attempts to control and to write, she attempts to, and she will for a while, to manipulate the beast. So there's some things that still have to happen, mm -hmm. um, but that, that is who the woman is. Okay. Gentlemen, and, and, and she fights Christ at Christ's yes. Mm -hmm. And Christ wins. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Well, gentlemen, we are out of time. Uh, so as we conclude here, and I apologize, I wish we had more time to go into some more details. In fact, of uh, talking about this beast in Europe, we encourage you to look up our booklet, The Beast of Revelation, and you can find that at tomorrowsworld.org as well. But gentlemen, just to end today, what's a final key takeaway that you would like to leave our audience with today? Mr. Meekin? I would say this, that God is the one who sets up and who pulls down nations. God is sovereign. And it used to be that Britain, and it's in time of difficulty, such as in the depths of World War uh, uh, II there, and the Dunkirk, when it looked like we were going under, King George V led a day of prayer, and they prayed for God's deliverance. I would love to see Britain get down on its knees for a day or more and look to God to deliver them. And I just wonder whether God just might. But apart from that, God is working on a vast plan and purpose within the context of the end of the age of man, uh, preparatory to the rule of Jesus Christ returning to this earth. Mm. 
Mr. Meekin is referencing Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, uh, speaking of God, that he, he raises up kings, he, he removes kings, he gives wisdom uh, and understanding uh, to the wise, or he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the understanding. Uh, God is in charge. Ultimately, God is in charge. And I'd like to, to maybe conclude with the second part of what Revelation 2.21 says, where he gives wisdom to the, to the wise and knowledge to those of understanding. A good understanding have those who keep God's law. Uh, you find that in Psalms, Psalm 111, verse, verse 10. So uh, for our friends out there, um, remember that God is sovereign. God is supreme. Uh, but you can have understanding and make sense of world events if you go to the Bible, but also, frankly, if you turn to God's law, keep God's law, submit to God's law, a good understanding have those who keep God's law. Okay. What's exciting to me, too, is at the end of the story, at the end of the book, we see that actually the British descended peoples and other nations are lifted up once again by God. And so there's a time of reckoning that's coming, but yet there's also going to be a time of blessing eventually. Because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Gentlemen, thank you for being on the program today. It has been wonderful talking to you. Appreciate your insights. Mr. Meekin, thank you for joining us this evening from Britain and bringing some insights that you have there on the ground as well. Brexit highlights, to a, or highlights a widening gap between Europe and not only the UK, but also many other Israelite-descended democracies in Western Europe, the United States, and other Israelitist nations around the globe. Bible prophecy predicts there will be animosity between a coming German-led European beast and the Israelitish nations. Brexit is one of the tools God is apparently using to bring about this growing animosity and to help facilitate the formation of the coming beast that we've been talking about. The UK's future will be rocky and difficult in the near term, but long term it will be exciting and finally filled with peace. To learn more about the future of the UK and the future of the British descended peoples around the globe, we do encourage you to read one of our most insightful booklets that we publish, The United States and Great Britain in Prophecy. And again, you can find this at tomorrowsworld.org. We think what you'll find is the simple biblical truths revealed in this booklet are going to maybe shock you, but they'll also amaze you. To hear answers to more of today's pressing issues, stay tuned each week to TW Now. Next week, we plan to discuss the sobering personal topic of how to cope with the death of a loved one. We invite you to be sure to subscribe, like, or share the program today, and we'll see you next week.